Good morning, everyone. Let's uh, let's take our seats. <coughs> Why don't we go ahead and start with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we ask for your presence to be with us as we now uh, delve into your word. Uh, bless our time together that we might grow in the knowledge of him who loved us to the end. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we are on Heidelberg Catechism 112, uh, the ninth commandment. Uh, does everybody have the handouts? The handouts are right over there. Uh, so why don't we do this first before we read the, uh, the question and answer together. Hopefully we have enough. Okay. Okay. Um, I'll read the question and we'll recite together the answer. Uh, what does the ninth commandment require? That I bear false witness against no one. Be no backbiter or slanderer. Join in condemning no one unheard or rashly, but that on pain of God's heavy wrath, I avoid all lying and deceit as the very works of the devil, and in matters of judgment and justice and in all other affairs, I love, speak honestly, and confess the truth. Also, insofar as I can, defend and promote my neighbor's good name. Um, so I want you to finish this saying. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Uh, in your experience, is that true? No? no? Yeah, for sure. Uh, in my experience, that, uh, that can't be further from the truth. Uh, have any of you ever been verbally abused before? Who hasn't been? That's the better question. Uh, yeah, I think many of us in this room have, and the better question is who hasn't? Uh, all of us probably have uh, experienced hurt uh, from people's words. Uh, words can sting us sometimes more than uh, any weapon can. Sometimes uh, it's better to be punched uh, than take a beating with words, uh, especially from those whom you love. Uh, the main idea I want us to wrestle with this morning is this, uh, bearing false witness is an act of violence against our neighbor that pushes back the kingdom of God. I'll read that again. Uh, bearing false witness is an act of violence against our neighbor that pushes back the kingdom of God. And our outline will be pretty simple. We'll first look at what bearing witness is. And then we'll look at what bearing false witness. 
so here's my first question, right? Like, what does our society think of words? Sean? Oh, yeah, everybody's wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. Does our... Huh? Right. Yeah, um, I think sometimes our culture, you know, talks as if words aren't really that powerful. We can say whatever we want or whatever. Uh, at least they say that. Um, and the truth is, people are pretty careless with their words, right? You know, um, you know, it's not only kids who say the darnest things. It's also the adults in our culture, right? Uh, it reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 12. I tell you on that day uh, of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Um, people say careless words um, and might not necessarily affirm it, but words are powerful to them, right? Because they're easily offended by what other people say. Everyone is triggered by words that don't conform to their ideals. Uh, so there seems to be this massive inconsistency going on in our culture with words. You know, on the one hand, you can say whatever you want. On the other hand, everybody's offended because of what people say, right? Um, and so I want, I want to begin by taking a look at the power of words, and um, first thing, I don't want to, you know, delve in too deeply into this, but words are powerful because it's how everything began, right? There's no life without words. There's no universe without words because God created ex nihilo. Uh, does anybody know what that means, God created ex nihilo? Out of nothing. Yeah, God created out of nothing. He didn't create out of pre-existing materials. Uh, he made all things out of nothing, right? But how did he create all things out of nothing? By the power of his word. Uh, God created by simply speaking things into existence um, without looking at your outline. Can anyone point us to where we find that in the Bible? Genesis 1? What, uh, what's Genesis 1 say? And that's John. Oh, sorry. Yeah, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, is there something explicit about Him creating with His words there? Huh? Anybody? And God said, right? And God said, and, and um, you know, the, John makes that even more explicit, right? In the beginning, he, he's reflecting on Genesis 1, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him 
was not anything made that was made. John, John is like a, a very, um, I don't know, very basic uh, Greek speaker. He wants to like make the point uh, with simple language. And so he repeats himself over and over there. Uh, the psalmist also makes the same claim in Psalm 33. Uh, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. And so words are powerful on the, on the lips of the Lord. Uh, we all know that. Um, what about when they're on human lips? Are words powerful when we speak them? Anybody? Yes? No? Yes. yes. Okay. Okay. Lively bunch we have here. Um, you know, obviously, there, there's a great difference um, when words are on God's lips and when they're on ours. Um, it doesn't matter how many words we speak, it will, you, you, know, you will never create a person, a dog, a tree, or anything by just speaking. Uh, that kind of power belongs to God alone. Uh, but nonetheless, the Bible says that words are still powerful on human lips. Uh, let's take a look at a few of them uh, here. Let's turn to Ephesians 4, verse 49. Forty-nine, huh? That can't be right. Is that right? <laughs> Twenty-nine. Typo there. Can anyone read that? Anybody? Yeah, what's to say that? What, what, what about our words? Yeah, you can build up with, with our words. We can we can build up uh, with our words. That's 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 a pretty powerful thing, right? We can build one another up with our words. Yeah, it totally mirrors. Um, yeah, totally, and that's. That's, and that's pretty convicting, if you really think about it. It's very convicting. Uh, how many of us are so quick to criticize other people in this room, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's up to you. But we're super quick to criticize one another. Uh, but Paul says our words are meant to build up one another. Uh, Proverbs twelve twenty five, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. I feel like that this week. I, I've been feeling like that. But a good word makes him glad, right? Words have the power to turn our hearts from, from gloom and sadness into gladness. 
And then there's uh, this from Proverbs 18. Uh, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Wow, what does that mean? Death and life. Right? Is, Is that literal? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, this is metaphorical language to me, right? Um, we can't literally kill or give someone life uh, by simply speaking to them. Uh, but it's meant to communicate the power of words on our lips, right? It's, it's very similar to, to that Ephesians 4 passage of building up and, and giving giving gladness to the heart in in Proverbs. Um, And so words are very, I say all this because words are very foundational to what bearing witness is. Uh, Sometimes the Bible says that our actions bear witness, which is very true, and it's very important. Uh, But I think the primary concern of the ninth commandment has to do with the way we speak, the way we speak. Um, When I, when what comes to mind when I say witness? Anybody? Evangelism? What, what do you mean by that? Okay, you're, you're, like you're, uh, you're using it like a verb, right? You're, you're witnessing, okay. Anybody else? Courtroom? Absolutely, courtroom. Uh, can anybody give us a definition? A definition of witness? Pat? Yeah, yeah. It's giving testimony of something that you've encountered, right? Um, Here's this definition I got got somewhere. Um, A person who gives testimony to establish the truth or a charge or a statement of act. Um, the Bible has many kinds of witnesses. Uh, we don't have uh, the time to look at them all. Uh, but being a witness is often a legal matter. Um, it appears in the courtroom. Uh, I mean, this is, that's the primary thing that's in my mind when, when I hear the word witness. Uh, it's someone who was there at the time of, of the incident, right? Uh, and then they're there to tell the story of what happened. You're a witness of that car accident, and then you're, you're there in court to tell um, what happened in that incident, right? I mean, has anybody ever acted as a witness in a legal setting before? Anson, what did you do? I do it all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's your thing, right? That's your thing. Yeah. Um, what is the legal requirement of of confirming, like, allegations against someone in the Bible? Anybody know? Two or three. Yes. Uh, You know, especially for a serious crime. One person isn't enough. Uh, This is a major uh, major thing in Israel. Uh, This comes from Deuteronomy 19. A single witness shall not suffice against a person of any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses 
sh uh, shall a charge be established. Um, that's really important, right, in, in the theocratic uh, world of Israel back then. Uh, but it's not only important for them, it's also important for us, right, as the church. What do I mean by that? Huh? It's our mandate? Okay. I guess I have more in mind of the two or three witnesses thing, right? Why is that important in the church? Yeah. Yeah, there's some, there's some there's some legal ramifications for for us as the church, right? Um, Jesus affirms this this very principle in matters of church discipline. Um, Matthew 18, right? Jesus says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. That's Jesus. He, he confirms that very principle. And so that's what we have, a, a legal witness. Um, that's, that's a kind of witness. Can you think of any other kinds of Witnesses. Okay, yeah, yeah. That, that object becomes sort of a witness, right? Um, I, I think that's... Yeah, totally. It's, um, objects, things can function as a witness some, uh, a lot of times, actually, in the Bible. Right? Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, uh, we will, we will uh, get there in a little bit. Um, here, here's one. Not all altars serve as witnesses, but an altar can serve as a witness. Uh, in Joshua 22, an altar was put up as a witness by the tribes of Reuben and Gad to confirm a future, uh, to the future generation that they were part of God's people. So, uh, you know, the people after them, after this generation from uh, the tribe of Reuben and Gad, they would look at this pillar and say, that's a witness that we're, we're part of you. We're part of God's people. We haven't been left out. Um, uh, listen to this in, uh, from Joshua 22. Therefore, we said, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence uh, with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. Okay. Now, now let, let me get to that shoe thing. What is that shoe thing all about, Gary?
Yeah, the kinsman redeemer, right? Yeah. Well, initially he said, yeah, let's do it. But then, like, but you got to take Ruth along with you. And then he's like, oh, no, I don't, I don't want that kind of responsibility. And so they do this weird ceremonial act, right? It, it's, it, um, it's in the end of Ruth. It says this. Uh, now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and, and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting or, or witnessing in Israel. And so um, uh, the writer of Ruth says, so-and-so, the man so-and-so, he gave his sandal to Boaz, uh, confirming the transaction. So a sandal, a a sandal can can act as a witness. Um, You can also become a witness against yourself, right? Uh, Later in Joshua, the people become witnesses against themselves, uh, you know, the, the people promise to serve the Lord. Uh, then Joshua says this, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. It's kind of like being in court and raising your hand, right? Yeah, we're, we're, I'm, a, I'm a witness. I, I, I'm here. I, I, I promise to, to, to serve the Lord, right? Um, okay, there's, there's probably many more um, kinds or objects and things like that that bear witness, um, that bear witness, right? And, and like like I said earlier, actions or actions can also bear witness. But what is the primary thing the Bible calls us to bear witness to? The truth, yes, absolutely. Can anybody unfold what that truth is? The truth of the gospel. Yeah. The Bible wants us to bear witness of the gospel. That the kingdom of God might go forth. Right? That's, that's the main thing that the Bible wants us to bear witness to. Um, I mean, I, I argue that this is, you can sum up the whole Bible in this way. It's about God's mission to extend his kingdom through witnesses. He sends witnesses over and over, right? Um, uh, let's just kind of gloss over uh, the Bible and point out some major figures who bore witness to the kingdom of God. Uh, can you think of any right off the top of your head? Israel? Somebody else? John the Baptist? God bears witness of himself? Yes. Anybody else? Paul, yeah, there's there's a lot. I mean, um, I think bearing witness really started with Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve were called to to be God's um, representatives to the world, right? They're they're supposed to extend the kingdom of God as as image bearers, right? And and that language itself of of, um, bearing image conveys... Also bearing witness, right? If, if somebody is like you, he's giving a, wit- a testimony of who you are. Okay, um, there was Abraham, there was Noah, there was Moses and David. There were the, all the prophets, 
uh, John the Baptist being the last of them. Uh, we're all major witnesses in the history of Israel. Uh, in fact, uh, like, like uh, Sean said, all of Israel were supposed to be uh, a witness to Yahweh, to the Lord, right? Uh, they have encountered who the Lord is, and they were to be a beacon of light to the nations around them, uh, to show the inbreaking of God's kingdom coming into the world, right? To show God's salvation, love, and grace to the nations. And so it says this in Isaiah 49. Uh, he says, It is too light a thing. Um, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will, not, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. So next question, who is the chief witness of Scripture? Who is the main witness of Scripture? Jesus, yes. Uh, you can't separate the two, right? Um, yes, of course, Jesus was, was the chief witness. Um, I, we don't have time to read this, but I, I encourage you to read this on your own. This, uh, from John chapter 5, verses 31 through 46. Uh, Jesus there said that John the Baptist uh, bore witness of him. But then he says that the work of his, uh, that he's doing, his ministry, his miracles, and all of those things are also bearing witness of him. And then finally he says, the Father bears witness of him. You know, there's no greater witness uh, than that. Right? That the Father should bear witness of Christ. Um, he's, come, he's come to be the chief witness of his Father. And, and then he says, not only does the Father bear witness about me, but the whole Bible bears witness about me. Right? All of the Bible is about Jesus. It's a testimony about who Jesus is. Right? And then we have the Holy Spirit. Uh, what witness does the Holy Spirit give to the world? I have that down somewhere else. <laughs> what, what is the main witness of the Holy Spirit? What, what does he come to bear witness to or about? Right? Has the Holy Spirit confirmed to you, like, what kind of oil you should be changing in your car? What's, what's, the, what's the main thing, main role that the Spirit has in bearing witness? Truth? What truth is that? God's truth. Yes. Um, here's John from John 15. But when the Helper, the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, right? That's, that's a triple whammy, right? Or, or all kinds of whammy, I should say. Uh, the Father bears witness, all of the Bible bears witness, and then the Holy Spirit bears witness of who Jesus is. Um, that, that's really the role of the Spirit, right? He's self-deflecting. He wants to point us 
to Jesus. Um, and by the way, that's, that's the way we know the Spirit is present among us. Uh, when he's revealing more and more to us who Jesus is from the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and even more, he, he's, he's not just revealing it externally, right? He's also revealing it to us internally. Uh, listen to this from Romans 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's a wonderful thing, a wonderful privilege that we have uh, of being in the church and hearing the word preached and proclaimed to us and the Holy Spirit confirming to us who we are in Christ, that we are God's children. We have in the New Testament uh, the apostles, right? They bore witness. They were commissioned in a very unique way to bear witness to Christ. Uh, They saw Jesus with their own eyes. Um, Paul didn't, but later on he did. (laughs) Um, uh, John 15 again. Uh, and you also, speaking to the apostles, were, will bear witness uh, because you have seen with me from the beginning, or you have been with me from the beginning. So the apostles um, were, also, were also witness bearers. And here's the scary thing. We as the church are also called to, uh, to be witnesses of the kingdom of God. Right? That's a heavy burden. But the bigger burden is not to do it. Because when, when, we, when we have seen and tasted the goodness of the Lord, the bigger burden is not to tell others about it. Um, Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. How do we do that as the church? Missionaries? Yes. How do we how do we bear witness to the world in the church? Our, our actions bear witness to who God is, to, to who Christ is, his love for us. Yeah, and then there, there's, there's a means of grace, right? Preaching, preaching, teaching, sacraments, uh, all of those things bear witness of, of Christ. And like, and like our brother said there, our very lives, the way we live with one another, that bears witness to who Christ is. And so if words are powerful, God creates with words. Human, humans build up each other with words. Well, what do you think bearing false witness is then? What's bearing false witness? Yeah, it's, it's destroying with our words, right? Uh, bearing witness is verbal violence. It's using our words against another person. 
like they're weapons to tear down people, right? Uh, one writer said it like this, deceit and violence, uh, these are the two forms of deliberate assault on human beings. That's, uh, that's pretty good, right? Deceit and violence. Uh, the book of Proverbs brings this out uh, for us a few times. Uh, listen to this from Proverbs 12. The thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. Right? The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood. So that connection of, of deceit and violence. Um, Proverbs 25, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor, right, ninth commandment, is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow, right? Bearing false witness is verbal violence. It hurts people. A few chapters after Israel, Israel receives the Decalogue, uh, we read this in chapter 23. Uh, you shall not spread a false report, bearing false witness. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. Uh, a more literal translation of that is a witness of violence. Don't be a witness of violence. Right? Um, the same phrase is found in Deuteronomy 19. If a malicious witness or a witness of violence arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties uh, to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. Um, sometimes, sometimes another way we enact uh, this kind of verbal violence against our neighbor is not by saying anything. Right? It's, it's by keeping our mouths shut when we should open them when we should tell the truth. That's a form of bearing false witness. Um, and, and that kind of bearing false witness not only does harm to, to your neighbor, but it also does, does harm to yourself by withholding the truth. Uh, Leviticus 5, if anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. That's, that's a huge challenge for us as Christians in this culture we live in. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying we should be uh, callous and, 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 and unintelligent about telling our neighbor about truth. We, we should be loving in the way we communicate truth. But, we, but that should be our passion is to bear witness of our Lord and not to be silent, right? Uh, who, who, who are the main victims of bearing false witness? Is it the rich and famous? Is it the, the powerful ones? Who are the main victims of false or bearing false witness? Yeah, yeah, it still protects the rich and the poor. But I'm sorry, the rich and the powerful. But 
the main victims here are the poor and the vulnerable, right? Listen to this in Exodus 23. You shall not fall in with the, with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness any lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. Right? Side with, with those who are poor and vulnerable with the truth. Um, that's the primary uh, people that the ninth commandment has in mind. Uh, not to say that the rich and the powerful, those who have it, all, have it all together, are not protected by this. They are. But the main concern is the oppression of the poor and the vulnerable. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, so, so what I'm not saying is that it's only for the poor and the oppressed, right? It's for everybody. But the chief concern, as in um, uh, Exodus 23, is that we protect the poor and the vulnerable because oftentimes they're the ones who are being accused of something. That, that, I'm not saying, you know, not, that people aren't of all kinds protected from this commandment. I think so. Yeah, slandering, right? Uh, remember when Aaron um, and, and I think it was Miriam who who, uh, who were slandering against Moses. That was a, that was a form of false gospel, uh, false uh, witness against them. Um, I mean, I, I say this because w- what is God like? God is trying to reflect to us His heart from the ninth commandment. God is the protector of, of the, you know, the oppressed, the poor. He is the father of the fatherless and protector of the widows. And that's the kind of heart that he wants from us, um, from the ninth commandment. Okay, so um, who was the first being to bear false witness? The Satan. Yes, that's right. Uh, the Satan is the one who got, who gets the ball rolling, right? Um, let, let's turn quickly to Genesis three. I'll read from verse one through five. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, "Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden?" And the woman said to the serpent, uh, "We may eat of the tr- of the fruit uh, of the trees in the garden, but God said, "You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die." But the serpent said to the woman, "You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil and so what was Satan's lie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
you're not going to die. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he questioned and undermined uh, the veracity of God's word, right? That's that's part of the undermining, right? Yeah, when you when you kind of twist a little bit of the truth, uh, that's the essence of deceitfulness. It's to undermine uh, and question uh, God's truthfulness. Yeah, totally, totally, yeah. Um, the heart of this is it's rebellion against God's truth, right? Uh, in a sense, lying suppresses the kingdom of God going forth in the world. Truth is supposed to go forward, but then when we bear false witness, we're, we're suppressing that, right? Um, we're holding it back. The Heidelberg Catechism recognizes, you know, bearing false witness is a work of the devil. Or it says, I avoid all lying and deceit as the very works of the devil. Um, uh, Jesus makes this claim in John 8. Uh, that's where Jesus powerfully rebukes those who claims to be the children of Abraham, you know. Uh, we're the children of Abraham. We, we, he's our father because we're, we're, you know, we're born in, in the right family and so on and so forth. Uh, but these very people did not receive Jesus' words. Uh, Jesus says, I speak what I've seen with the father, with my father, and you do uh, what you have heard from your father. Right? That's a, that's a stinging rebuke. If you don't if you don't accept my word, if you don't receive my word, you're of your you're of your father, the devil. Right? I mean, how many of us want to be called the devil's children? I, I, you know, a child of the devil. That's <laughs> that that's low of the low, right? Because the devil hates the truth. Uh, from John eight again, you are of your father, the devil, and you will do. Your will is to do your father's desires. Uh, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil hates the truth because he hates God. And he hates the kingdom of God, so he pushes, his ba- pushes it back by, by being deceitful and Deceiving others to be deceitful, right? Um, is there is there any hope <laughs> for any of us who are who are constantly running to to deceitfulness and who are constantly bearing false witness? Yes. The re- yes, we will uh, take a look at that later in the sermon. You know, that's our only hope is Christ's righteousness. Um, when we, we, we see it in God's word and then we receive it in our hearts, that's where our, our hope is, right? 
so those who are truly his disciples, Jesus says to you, uh, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, God has set us free from all the wiles and deceitfulness of, bear, uh, of bearing false witness. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Christ has come to be the chief witness of Scripture, and that indeed all Scripture is from him, or is about him. Uh, we, we pray that you would fix our eyes on him who is the truth. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.